Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, I'm, I'm super, super excited that as a church, we get to hear from our guest speaker. Would you give a warm Weston welcome to Trisha Gibb? Well, it is quite an honor to be here this morning with all of you. Um, Since Pastor Jonathan and I are friends, you know, you keep up with uh, college friends on Facebook. That's just how you do things these days. And so I have followed the journey of this church since he came on staff here and have rejoiced through a computer screen over what God is doing, both with your renovation, which is beautiful. I already gave myself a little tour, although I want the official tour later, and I'm going to take pictures to show my pastor, Um, but it is amazing. But I also just know that the Spirit of God is alive here, that you are experiencing God moving in your church, and um, so that is wonderful, and we rejoice with you. Um, I did go to school with your pastor for four years, so I have lots of stories that I don't have time to tell right now, but we could chat after the service. Um, Pastor Jonathan um, always sat, I'm pretty sure you sat in the same seat for every meal for four years. Like no one even dared to sit in that spot. There was no name on it, just everyone knew that it was his. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know how it happened, but I often sat at that table. Like most of my meals were shared with uh, Pastor Jonathan over the years. So we got a lot of opportunity to get to know each other and become friends, and I want you to know your pastor is so highly respected. Um, like, I can't, like, highly does, is not a big enough word. Just everyone who knows him, loves him, and respects him, and I hope as a church that you know how blessed you are to have your pastor and his wife here. I, uh, I can remember because now Pastor Jonathan and I are back in Canada and we went to school in the States and so most of our friends from Bible College are still in the U.S. and so we don't always get a chance to see them, um, although sometimes we just fly for 24 hours apparently to go see a friend. Um, but when Pastor Jonathan met Priscilla and then they got married, there was all these people from our Bible College class who just loved him so much they wanted to make sure that Priscilla was worthy of Pastor Jonathan. And I can remember when I met his wife for the first time afterwards, just in conversation with people where you're catching up. And I said, oh, I met, I met Jonathan's wife. And everyone was just, how is she? Is she, is she good? Is she worthy of, of him? Because everyone has such, and so to, I'm serious. This is, I'm not exaggerating. And to, so to say, she's amazing and wonderful and his equal, and she brings an anointing to this church. And so, Church, you are so blessed to have this couple here, and I hope that you bless them and encourage them and cheer them on and pray for them and just stand behind them in everything that they do as they lead this church into greater days. Amen? 
Um, as Pastor Jonathan said, I have served at my church in Bethel, Sarnia for 13 years now. Um, I, when I went there, I thought that I would be there for two years. So God just surprises you sometimes. But um, it's a wonderful church, and I love being there. My pastor is actually my brother, which would not work for everyone. But for whatever reason, it does work for us. And it's a little strange that my boss is my brother, and he tells me what to do, and I just have to do it. Um, but we do love our relationship, and I love serving there. I have been the student ministries pastor, but right now I'm transitioning at my church into an assistant pastor role, and I just took a position, are you ready for this? This is the longest job title, as the Women's Connection Director for the Western Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Now, what that means, I don't really know, because I've only been doing this job for three weeks, but <laughs> um, I'm basically overseeing ministry to women across our province as a representative of the PAOC. Um, so I'll figure out what that means in the months to come, but it's exciting. Uh, serving Jesus is an adventure, and it is a joy, and... Um, I struggle sometimes with obedience to what God asks me to do because every time God asks you to do something, it takes a step of faith, right? Um, but I just know that saying yes to God and saying yes to the invitation of God's spirit is always the right answer. And so I'm honored to serve him. Can we just pray really quickly as we get into the word? Father, we just thank you today for your goodness in our lives. We thank you today, Jesus, that you are present in this place by your spirit and that um, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us today. I pray that you would go beyond the words in my mouth to speak to every heart, to encourage people with who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm wondering this morning, have you ever had the experience where you thought that you knew someone, like you really thought that you knew someone, and then you had some sort of moment or some sort of experience with them where after that experience, you're like, oh, I thought I knew them, but now I really know them. Do you know what I'm talking about? I hear this a lot from newly married couples because all of the engaged couples, they think that they know the person that they are about to marry. And they stand at that altar and they look each other in the eyes and they, they say these wonderful words like, I know you and I love everything about you. And then two weeks into marriage, they realize that that person that they thought they knew leaves their wet towel on the bathroom floor and they do not love that about them. Um, or maybe you've had the experience where you've gone on a road trip with a friend, a really good friend that you thought that you knew, and um, all of a sudden, it's like you are learning new things about them. Like, uh, they like to speed, or they have some road rage, or they like to stop at every single truck stop to buy beef jerky. And you're like, I, didn't, I just didn't realize this about you. Or maybe you... Um, you shared a room with someone, like an apartment before you got married or a dorm room in college. I can remember when we were in college, I was the head resident assistant, so I had this experience many times where two girls would say, we are best friends, so we want a room together. 
And every time I would say, oh, this is not, this is not a good idea. But they were like, no, we are the best of friends. We know each other so well. This is going to be so great. We're going to share a room, and it's going to be fantastic. And just give it a couple weeks into these best friends sharing a room together, best friends who thought they knew everything about each other. And I'm getting a knock at my door, and some girl coming in saying, my best friend is a slob, and I need to move out because she's been hiding her dirty dishes in our fridge, and I cannot handle it. Now we all, do you understand, we've all had these experiences where we thought that we knew someone, but then because of a moment or an experience, now you really know them. And I think we all have that in our relationship with God, where we know God And God, the amazing thing about him is that God does not change. The God that we know today is the God who is the God of the Bible. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in our experiences with God, we go from knowing him to knowing him. We go from knowing and understanding who he is, but our experiences take us to a whole deeper level of knowing who God is. So, for example, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, when they lived in Egypt in slavery, they knew God. But when they came out on the other side of the Red Sea, how they knew God then was different than how they knew God before. When they were slaves in Egypt, they knew God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when they came through the other side, they knew him as Jehovah, as Yahweh, as their God. They knew him in a whole different way. Or you think about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of Romans, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, my question, and I can't wait to get to heaven and sit down with Paul and say, Paul, tell me about the journey that took you from knowing that God is a God of love to being convinced that God is a God of love. Because in our experiences with God, in our journey with God, we go from knowing him to knowing him. And you know what's so funny about our English language is that we there's no new word that we can put into place. So we, we change our pronunciation of something. So we say like, I knew that God was good, but now I know that God is good because we don't have another word but good. <laughs> so we, we change the way that we say it, but the understanding is the same as that our experience has opened our eyes to understand God in a new way or in a deeper way. You know, there's a a podcast that I listen to, and this woman, she interviews all these Christian leaders, and as they tell their story to her, the question that she always asks them, after they talk about their journey with God, she simply says, what do you know now about God that you did not know before this experience or this journey? And where I am today, church, if I was to be asked that question, I would say, I know that God is faithful. See, I've always known that God is faithful. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. My mom played the keyboard. I grew up sitting on the second row singing, great is thy faithfulness. I knew as a child God was faithful. I knew watching my parents through their journey that God was faithful in their lives. I knew in college, every year when we didn't have enough money to pay for the next semester and somehow the money would come in and God would provide, I knew that God was faithful. But standing where I am today over the last year or 
two years or five years, looking back over the journey of my life, now I know that God is faithful. And I know that according to my journey with him, but I also know that according to God's word. So let's talk this morning about how faithfulness is what God does. See, I just, when I read the Bible, I think the Bible is just a really long explanation of how God is faithful to his kids. Because every single story that you read is about God's faithfulness. When you look at the story of Noah, about how there was a wicked generation and yet there was one righteous man and God gave Noah the blueprints to build a boat that would house his family and two of every kind of animal and God saved his family. That is a story of God's faithfulness. When you look at the story of Moses and how God saved him as a baby in a basket, then put him in a palace, and then took a man who was a murderer and a runaway and called him through a burning bush to be the leader of a million people and lead them out of slavery to freedom, that's a story of God's faithfulness. When you look at the story of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fire, and God spared all those men and turned the heart of the leader of the nation back to God. That's a story of God's faithfulness. When you look at the story of Esther and how God took a young girl and put her for such a time as this in a position of power and influence so she could have the ear of the king and she could save her people, that's a story of God's faithfulness. When you look at the story of the prophets and how God would put words in their mouth to speak judgment or encouragement or whatever the message was, every single time they spoke, it was always God's heart to reconcile his people back to him. That's a story of God's faithfulness. When you read the New Testament and you look at the, at the letters written to the churches, how the churches were a mess, they were caught up in political issues and gossip and culture and all these things, and yet men like Paul and Timothy would go to these churches and they would declare the word of the Lord, they would write letters. All of that, the story of the New Testament, is a story of God's faithfulness, which then ripples into us being here today at Western Road Church in 2018. This church is a story of God's faithfulness. Everything in the Bible, time and time again, where God is redeeming and rescuing and healing his children, it's because faithfulness is what God does. And church, given his track record in the Bible... It's a clear indication that God will be faithful to you because faithfulness is what he does. So look at, look at these scriptures, Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says this, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and constantly loves those who love him and obey his commands. Do you see he is faithful How? By keeping his covenant for a thousand generations. Faithfulness is what he does by keeping his promises to his children. 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. God's faithfulness is seen in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the relationship that we have with him. Hebrews 10, I, I love how it says this verse in two different versions. Hebrews 10.23 in the New Living, it says, without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope that we say that we have, for God can be trusted, church, 
to keep his promises. But look at it in NIV. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. See, because he's faithful, we can trust him. When you look at that word faithful or faithfulness in the Hebrew language in reference to God, this is, this is the definition that it gives the word. It means to support. It means to confirm. It means to carry. It means to be a father. It means to be reliable. It means to be trustworthy. So you know what that means for us? It means in situations in life that you may be going through where you do not know where God is or you don't know what God is doing, that you can trust him, that behind the scenes what he is doing for you is being faithful. Even when you can't see him, even when you have questions, even when you don't understand, even when you're in pain, even as Pastor Jonathan was talking about, you are seeing the clouds and not the sun. And you're asking God, God, where are you? And what is the purpose? And where is the answer? And how am I going to get through these clouds? You can trust that God will be faithful because faithfulness is what he does. You know, I can remember when I was a teenager, my, my family went through an ex, just an excruciating situation. And the details really don't matter for the context of this, but uh, my parents were broken. My parents were hurting. The situation that they went through meant a loss of income for our family. It, it meant that my mom's whole life had to shift, and she began working in an area and doing things that she never felt called to do, and she didn't understand what she was doing and why she was doing it. It meant a very severe depression for my father for years that he had to go on medication for, and, and by the grace of God, God got him through, but he never really recovered. It, it was just so devastating for our family. And can I tell you, church, that in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that situation, and we walked through that for years, even as my parents were holding on to God and trusting God and believing God, there was lots of times where just in all honesty and vulnerability, we would pray and, and I would hear them say, God, where, where are you? And God, we don't understand this. We don't understand why we're walking through this, and we don't understand the purpose of this moment, and we don't know what you're doing, and we don't know where you're leading. And, and God, we know what you promised us years ago, but the situation that we're in now, it doesn't line up with the promises that you made, and, and we, don't, we don't understand, and we can't see it. And isn't that the problem when you are in the middle of your miracle? <laughs> that you can't always see what God is doing behind the scenes? <laughs> But I can tell you now from the other side of it, as we look back on that season of our lives, when we look back now, we remember the pain, but we don't see the pain. We see the faithfulness of God. We can see how in the moments that God was setting my mom up for a ministry, we can see in the moments how God was opening doors for my dad. We can see in the moments how God was teaching a very young teenage girl who God was and how to trust him. We can see how behind the scenes God was working out his faithfulness in our lives. And church, when you look and remember God's faithfulness, it helps you to trust him in the future. 
Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're a visual person. I'm a visual person. I'm just going to ask you, can we use our imagination? Oh, not yet. That's, yeah, that's for later. But I appreciate your eagerness. Um, can you just use your imagination for a minute? I, uh, I was talking with our teenagers, because I'm currently still a youth pastor at my church, a number of months ago, and we were talking about what it means to lean our lives on God. And I use this visual with them, and this is months ago, but this visual has still stayed with me. So can you, for a minute, can you imagine a ladder? Yes? If you just nod your head at me, then I'll know that we are all together on this imagination train, and that'll help me. Okay, good. There's a few people. Um, now, I know today I am not, I am not a hardware expert by any means. I, I have... Um, a hammer at my house, and I have a very small level, and that is just about as far as tool-related items that you will find in my home. But I do know that ladders today have gotten a little more sophisticated, and most of the ladders that we would have are those A-frame ones, you know what I'm talking about? And they are, oh, that was good. There was some head nods. I appreciate that. They are self-standing. They support themselves, so you can go up that ladder by yourself. You don't need someone there to spot you necessarily. But I want you to pay Picture one of those ladders that is just singular. And in the only way for you to go up that ladder is for it to lean against something. You got that? You have that picture in your head? Look at all the heads nodding now. Uh, we are together on this. I appreciate that. I, I want you to understand this morning that when we talk about the faithfulness of God and what it means to put our trust in his faithfulness. The image that comes to our, my mind is a ladder leaning against a wall. And that ladder represents our life leaning against Jesus. And that's how we have to live our lives, leaning against him for support so that he takes our concerns and our burdens and our fears and our stress and our prayers. The whole design of those ladders is that they have to lean against something and they have to lean against something sturdy. And church, we, just like those ladders, are meant to lean in life. But we determine if we are going to trust God's faithfulness and lean on on him or lean in the other direction. And we all lean somewhere. But knowing God is faithful, knowing that we can trust God, it gives us that confidence to lean our lives against him, trusting that behind the scenes he is being faithful. You know, in the situations in your life, you are always going to lean one way. And I am too. In the midst of, of stress or, or difficulty or worry or concern, we can lean towards stress or we can lean towards Jesus. We can lean towards financial security of our own making or we can lean towards Jesus. In the midst of a health problem, we can lean and we can put all our dependency on doctors or medicine or we can lean against Jesus and believe in the power of prayer and healing. We can lean towards self-help books or we can lean towards Jesus. We can lean towards self-sufficiency or we can lean towards Jesus. But can, can I just be honest for a moment? I mean, I have been honest this whole time, but can I just tell you from vulnerability, it is hard sometimes to lean against Jesus. It, it's just hard because I want to do things my own way. I, I want to be in control of my own life. 
I want to see a problem and fix it. I want to find a solution. I want to read a book on, on 10 steps to lose 300 pounds in 30 days or whatever the latest health book is. There's this, there's this tendency within me, even though I love him and trust him and serve him, there is a tendency to lean away sometimes. But you know what I've learned? Is that it gets easier to lean against Jesus by leaning against Jesus. That's it. Because it's when we lean, it's when we trust, even when we're unsure. It's when we take a step of faith, even when we can't see the road. It's when we act, even though we don't feel confident. It's when we lean in obedience to our belief, even without the assurance that it's all going to be okay. That is when we find that Jesus is secure and reliable and trustworthy and more than able to handle the situations in our life. It's when we lean against Jesus that we learn that we can lean against Jesus and trust his faithfulness. You know, a couple weeks ago in my kids' ministry, I was teaching the kids the story of the prodigal son. And um, I, I know for us in our context, often when we talk about the prodigal son, the image probably that comes to our head is of a, a child who grew up in church, and as a teenager or young adult, they walked away from their faith, and, and they ran from God, and, and then there's a salvation moment, and they come back. At least that's the image that I have in my head when someone talks about it. But can we just take the story of the prodigal son at its simplest form? <laughs> the story of the prodigal son we can all relate to. Because it's about an individual who had a relationship with his father, had a relationship with God, and made the decision to lean away from Jesus, and wanted to do life their own way, and wanted to live in control of their own things, and wanted to make their own decisions, wanted to be self-sufficient. Ultimately, the prodigal son just leaned away. And then he found himself in all this trouble, right? So I was telling this story to all these elementary age kids in my classroom, and, and, you know, you build it up for the kids. I had a picture of a pig on the screen and, and little pig noises that were whatever, and they were, thought it was so cute. And, and so I'm explaining how the prodigal son got to this moment in his life where he's feeding the pigs, and he looks at the pig's trough, and he's so desperate that he, he starts to think that what the pigs are eating looks good, that he's appetized looking at this, this food in the pig's trough. And so I stop and I ask the kids, I said, what, so what do you think the prodigal son did in this moment? And this one boy, he's brand new to our church. He didn't grow up in church. This is the first time ever hearing the story. In all sincerity, he, he calls out and he asks me, he says, well, did he kill the pig and make bacon so he could have something to eat? Isn't that so great? <laughs> and you know, in the moment when he said that, I, I was like, oh, what a kid answer. But after when I went home and thought about it, I thought, how often do I do that, though? That in the midst of my situation, 
the midst of my mess, the midst of the moment. How often have I looked at my situation and thought, how can I fix this? How can I make this right? How can I do something on my own to to ratify the, the mess or the situation or the stress or the worry that I'm in? See, the prodigal son made a lot of bad decisions, but the best decision that he made was in that moment. He didn't kill the pig and make bacon and figure things out. He leaned back against Jesus. And church, that's what we need to do in our life is to lean against Jesus. Trust that even when we don't understand what God is doing, trust that even when we can't see God, just trust that behind the scenes, God is being faithful on your behalf because faithfulness is what he does. Amen? Faithfulness is also who God is. Look at this in um, Deuteronomy 32, 4. This is what it says. It says, he is the rock. His work is perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? Do you notice in the verse, it, it first talks about what he does, that what he does is just and upright. But then later in the verse, it says this is who he is. He is just and upright, and that's how we see his faithfulness. Exodus 34, verse 6. I love this verse because this is God describing himself for the first time to someone. He's talking to Moses, and for the first time in Scripture, he's giving someone a definition of who he is. And this is how God defines himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's saying, Moses, you want to know who I am? Let me give you a definition. Faithfulness is who I am. That defines God. Psalm 138, verse 2, this is David. He says, I bowed before your holy temple as I worship. I will give thanks to your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness because your promises are backed by the honor of your name. See, in the name of Jesus is faithfulness. God is faithful because faithful is his name. And God can't act contrary to who he is. He can't act contrary to his name. So when we call on the name of the Lord, we are calling on the one who is faithful. By definition, that is who he is. So in your life, he can be nothing else but faithful because that's who God is. Church, he can't be unfaithful to us. Because faithful is his name. So what does that mean for us? Let me tell you one story. Genesis chapter 15. We don't have time to read the whole thing today, but you can read it um, when you go home this afternoon. It's Genesis chapter 15. But let me, let me explain, and we'll read a couple verses. In Genesis chapter 15, God is meeting with Abraham. In this story, Abraham, his name hasn't been changed yet, so he's still called Abram. And God and Abram are meeting together, and God is making a covenant with Abraham. Now, let me just pause for a moment and explain this because I think that we have a lot of trouble in 2018 understanding what covenant is. 
because there's very little that we know today that even comes close to comparing to a covenant that God has made. The closest thing that we have today is a promise. But can we be honest? Like promises, while we take them seriously, promises are often broken. And, and, and we might be hurt by a broken promise, but often we're not surprised. Because promises are made, and unfortunately promises are broken. What I need you to understand today is that when God made a covenant, when he made a promise with someone in the Bible, it was unbreakable. God would say it. There would be an agreement. God would make this promise, and there was, there was no way that God would go back on his word. He could not because covenant is so important to God. There's even stories in the Bible. There's one in the book of 1 Samuel where God sends a famine to the land because King Saul, who's now dead, had broken covenant. And years later, the nation is still suffering because God takes covenant so seriously. And this is what we find happening in Genesis 15. God and Abram are meeting together, and God is making a covenant with Abraham. And his covenant is twofold. He promises Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. Now, first of all, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham, this is, this is just this is crazy because Abraham and his wife Sarah now are at such an elderly age that biologically, physically, this is impossible. And yet God makes this promise, this covenant with Abraham that I'm going to give you descendants. The other thing that he makes covenant with Abraham about is uh, land. He says, I'm going to give you possession of property. Now, those two things in Bible times, I mean, that is a kid's Christmas wish list come true. That is everything that anyone could have wanted. They just wanted kids and they wanted land because kids meant that their bloodline would continue and land meant security for generations to come. This was everything that Abraham could have ever wanted. And God says, Abram, I'm making this promise to you, this covenant to you, descendants and land. And then Abraham, he asks this question. In the NIV, it says this. He says, how can I be sure of this promise? In other words, God, how can I know that you will be faithful? How can I know? So God gives Abraham, after he asks that question, he gives him some very strange instructions. In uh, Genesis 15, verse 9, this is what it says. The Lord says to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon. And Abram brings all these to him, cut them up into two, arrange them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. All right. This is the strange story in the Bible. Can we just say, sometimes the Bible is just strange. And I had read this story, I don't know how many times, and I had always just like, Psh, I don't even understand what that means, but that is weird, and we're just going to keep on reading. But recently, in reading it, all of a sudden, man, oh, my eyes are open, and I just, I'm so excited. So Pastor Jonathan, if you can bring my laundry basket to me, I just, please excuse me this morning, I am a little embarrassed about this, but I am a visual person, and so I just want to help us all out so we can understand what is happening in this story. Um, I do not have a heifer or a goat or a ram, 
because you just did a renovation and that would be very messy in here. Um, but I do work with children. And at my church, I do have um, a bin just of stuffed animals that we have collected over the years. So if you will excuse the fact that we are going back to kids' ministry right now, I think this will just help us. Are you still with me? No one's offended that I just brought out stuffed animals? Okay. All right. I think like a child sometimes, even though we're all hanging out as adults together. Um, I want you just to get a picture of what this would look like. This is the instruction that God gives to Abraham. He says, Abraham, and I want you to take this animal so you can picture that this is one animal. And he says, I want you to cut it in half, and you put half of it on your right and half of it on your left. And then you take the next animal and you do the same thing, half on your right and half on your left. And... Um, Please don't call PETA or anything because now I'm pulling out a tiger and an alligator, but this is all that I had at the church. And, and so he cuts them in half, and, and he makes this, this path. Does everyone see this? Now, when I read this, I had no idea what was going on in this story, but Abraham knew exactly what was going on. Because in Old Testament times, when two people were making a covenant with each other, this is the protocol that they would do. They would take these animals and they would cut them in half and they would make a path down the road. Now, Pastor Jonathan, can you just come and help me out here just for a minute? Can you imagine for a moment that these are Old Testament times and Pastor Jonathan and I are making a covenant to each other? So I would promise to him and I would say, if ever there was a famine in the land, you and your family could move onto my property if we were surviving and you could live there and we could take care of you. And you would make a promise to me and you would say, if ever there was a famine in the land, then you and your family could come and live on my property and 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 you would live there and everything would be taken care of and we would like spit and we would shake hands or do whatever you do and you're making a promise and then together we would both walk side by side through this covenant path and the implication for the two people who were making covenant was very solemn because we would look at these animals that have been broken and cut and have bled, and the understanding between us who have made a covenant is that if I break covenant with your pastor, then I am deserving of bloodshed and the punishment of a broken body like these animals. And Pastor Jonathan would have the same understanding, that covenant is so serious that we understand that if we break the promise that we just made to each other, that this is what we are deserving of, bloodshed and broken body. Thank you. Now, this is, this is what happens in the story. God tells Abraham, I want you to make this path, and Abraham does this, and then the story gets even stranger because Abram falls asleep. <laughs> he must have been tired. I mean, that's a lot of work, cutting a heifer in half, but he sets this up, and then he falls asleep, and Abram, as he is sleeping, God speaks to Abraham again. So it's a dream or a vision where God is talking to Abraham. And God, again, you can read it in the scripture, God, again, asserts his covenant to Abraham. I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you land. The interesting thing is he doesn't promise a life of just perfection. He says your family will suffer. They'll be in slavery, but I will bring them out. I'll bring them into the land that I have promised for you. And then, church, after... God reasserts his covenant with Abraham. Abraham sees in this vision 
The Bible says he sees a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. And that smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, it passes through the covenant path. Now let me ask you a question. How did God reveal himself in the Old Testament? Through smoke and cloud and through fire. What Abram was seeing (laughs) was God alone walking the covenant path. Abraham didn't walk him with it. Abraham watched in a vision as God alone walked the covenant path. Church, do you know what that means? It means that Abram was seeing God all by himself, taking the responsibility of fulfilling the covenant. It was just God taking on the punishment if that covenant was broken. It was just God saying, Abram, I am making a promise to you. And no matter how you fail, I will be faithful to fulfill my promises in your life. And if anyone has to take the punishment for breaking the covenant, I will. It was just God who walked the covenant path. It was just God who said, I'm making a promise to you. It was just God who said, I'm looking at the arrangement of this covenant. And I understand, Abram, that as you and I are in covenant, that no matter if the covenant is broken, you don't have to take the punishment. I'm taking the punishment because I am walking the covenant path of promise by myself. Church, that means that when we are faithless, that God will still be faithful to us because he has made covenant with us. It means that even when we hurt God, that God will stay true to us. It means even when we turn our back on God like the prodigal son, that God is still committed to us. It means that when we break God's heart with our sin and our rejection of him, that God is constant in his love and devotion to us. It means that even if we make him walk alone, that he is still willing to pay the price so that we know that he will never give up on us. His promises to us cannot be broken. There is nothing that you or I can do to break the love of God and his commitment to us because he made the covenant by walking the path alone. And you know how we see that? Because thousands of years later, after the Bible writes about generations of people who turn their back on God, rejected him, turned to other gods, lived in slavery because of poor decisions thousands of years after generations of people made God walk alone. God sent Jesus to earth. And Jesus took the punishment for us breaking the covenant by dying on the cross and shedding his blood, and breaking his body, so that we can know that there is nothing that we can do to separate us from the love and the faithfulness of God. 
See, church, he will always be faithful to you because faithfulness is what he does and faithfulness is who he is and it's evidenced on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand today that whatever situation that you are walking through right now, whatever stress, whatever worry, whatever dark cloud you feel is over your life, wherever you question God, where are you and I don't see you and I don't know what's happening, I want you to understand today that behind the scenes of your situation that God is working out the details that his faithfulness is in action that he is preparing you for the next season of increase of greater understanding of who God is and whatever you're going through right now you're going to come to the other side and you're going to say oh I thought I knew that God was faithful but now that I'm standing on the other side I know that God is faithful because he has proven it to me He died in my place. He took the punishment of the covenant so that I could know his goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace in my life. He will be faithful to you because faithfulness is what he does. And faithfulness, church, is who he is. Amen. This morning... As your pastor comes and closes the service, I'm going to ask you all over this place. I don't know your situations today. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I have no idea the pain or the situations or the confusions or the stress or the worry that you might have. I don't know the people in your family who might be sick. I don't know the state of your job or your income. But I know, church, I know that God is faithful. And I know that even right now, if, if you've had questions about God, what are you doing and where are you and I don't see it, I know that God is working behind the scenes to be faithful to you. And you're going to come to the other side and you're going to go to your pastor and you're going to say, oh, I thought I knew, but now I know and I can see that in that season that God was just setting me up to prove that he is a God who keeps his promises. So my question for you this morning is, in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the questioning, are you willing still to lean against Jesus and trust his faithfulness? Are you willing this morning To not lean on your own self-sufficiency, on your own way of doing things, on your own way of figuring things out. But are you willing today to say again to the Lord, I'm putting all my trust on you. I'm leaning my life against you because I'm trusting today that you are my secure foundation, that you are the one who will carry my burdens and walk me through, that you are the one who will support me and uphold me. You are the one that I'm choosing this morning to lean my life upon. If that is the state of your heart, I'm gonna ask you all around this room, can you stand to your feet and begin to lift your hands and begin to declare to the Lord that you will trust him, that you are leaning your life against him. Can you begin to thank him for your faithfulness? Even in a season where maybe you may not see it, you thank him in advance for what he's about to do. You lift your hands and you praise him remembering how he's been faithful in the past and you set your faith towards his faithfulness 
faithfulness in the future. You thank him this morning for Jesus dying on the cross and what that means for us that the covenant has been made and it cannot be broken because Jesus already took the punishment for our lack of faith and our sin and our our turning our back on him. We can trust him this morning because he is a covenant keeping God. Jesus today we thank you in this place for who you are. We praise you God for your faithfulness. We thank you God from the day that we were born that you have always been a faithful God to us. That you have been working behind the scenes in our lives to set us up to prepare us for the place in every season of pain and of joy, of heartache and of vision God. In every season you have been there being faithful on our behalf and so today God we put our trust in you again. We lean upon you Jesus. We don't lean against our own self-sufficiency or our own ideas or our own wisdom. Today, God, we lean back against you and we choose, God, today to trust you, to know, Jesus, that you will be faithful. If that is your prayer this morning, can you just praise him for a moment? Just begin to thank him for his faithfulness. Just begin to glorify him because he's good. Glorify him because he's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He's always walked with you. He's always gone before you. He has been faithful. God, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Let the word that we heard this morning, Father, let it just, let the seed go down deep. And Father, I just pray in these moments before we close, Holy Spirit, that you would just allow the soil of our heart to receive the word that was spoken. I thank you, Lord, that your word never goes out and returns void. It never does that, but it always accomplishes exactly what you intended to do. And so this morning, Father, we thank you for Trisha, who's come, who's preached the word faithfully, and Father, who's given us a clear picture of who you are. And so, God, we thank you that though we might waver sometimes, or oftentimes, Father, you don't. You are faithful you are faithful. Lord, help us in, in the Monday to Saturday to be ready to lean on you. And God, it's easy to say it in church and to believe it. But Lord, when it does get hard, help us to lean on you. And Father, even that picture of uh, the prodigal son with the pig. Lord, help us if, if we have that inclination to want to fix what we see in front of us. But God, I pray that we would just drop everything and run back to you. And Father, help us to lean on you. Thank you, Lord, for the word that we've heard. Thank you, God. May we meditate on it day and night as we go from this place. And church, just before we close, I know it's a bit old school, but if you know that great hymn of the faith, Great is Thy Faithfulness, I don't have the best voice but I'm going to start us off. But I just want us, if you know it, let's sing it today. Not just because it's a cute way to end a service, but to solidify the message that we've heard. And now we declare that we understand. I knew before, but now we know that God is faithful. Amen. So great. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. 
Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.